Mike, and thank you, Music Ministry, and thank you, congregation, for your faithfulness to be here and uh, worship the Lord in this place, and what a delight it is to be together uh, here on this Sunday morning. This is a very special week because uh, it is, for us at least, the last week of school, and I was just reminiscing with my son. He's in fourth grade, and I was talking about how quickly the year has gone by. I said, it's gone by so fast, and he piped up from the back seat, no, it hasn't, Dad. <laughs> No, it hasn't. It's, it's been a grind, right? But uh, we're, we're so glad to, uh, to be in this place together. And our high school graduation is this coming Saturday. Our kindergarten graduation is uh, this coming Wednesday. And so this is a very, very special time as, uh, as we, you know, the word commencement is used. And, you know, the word commence, it means to begin. And in reality, that's what a graduation is. It's really the beginning of a new future, and uh, we certainly want to be praying for our students as they uh, launch off into whatever it is that the Lord uh, has for them as, as their next step. I would appreciate your prayers. I am uh, leaving this afternoon just for a very, very brief uh, getaway. Uh, I am preaching uh, down in southern Ohio at the Grace Baptist Church of New Matamoris, which is a church that this church actually established uh, under Brother Jim Mayles who is a church planner who sent out of Cleveland Baptist. I'll be preaching there tonight in their evening service. It's the final service of a missions emphasis that they've been having. And so I appreciate your prayers for me as I travel down there this afternoon. Tonight in my place, uh, I've asked Brother Ron Jackson, who of course is a missionary that we have sent out of our church, and he's ministering to the soldiers there in Ukraine. And God has given him an incredible open door there, and uh, they're seeing many, many people saved. And obviously many of them are, uh, are in some respects uh, very, very near to eternity because of the war that is being fought over there and because of the dangerous um, conditions that many of them are going into. And uh, Brother Jackson's just fresh off of a trip and another one coming here in mid-June. And uh, so he'll be preaching to our church family tonight. He'll also uh, be giving us a report uh, on what the Lord has done there in the most recent trip and what is next for them. And so let me encourage you to be back in your place this evening. If you would, join me in the book of Genesis, chapter number 21, please. The 21st chapter in the book of Genesis is where we'll find our text this morning. And I must tell you that this passage of Scripture that we come to today is not for the faint of heart. And uh, I think you'll notice and recognize by the very title of the message that what we're dealing with today is very, very heavy. And I want us to look, if we can, in Genesis chapter number 21, we'll begin reading in verse number 9, and we'll read down through verse number 21. The Bible says in Genesis 21 and verse number 9, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had borne unto Abraham mocking, wherefore she said unto Abraham, Cast out this bondwoman and her son. For the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Notice verse 11. And the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son. And God said unto Abraham, Let it not be grievous in thy sight because of the lad, and because of thy bondwoman. And all that Sarah hath said unto thee, hearken unto her voice, for in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And also of the son of the bondwoman will I make a nation, because he is thy seed. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and took bread and a bottle of water, and gave it unto Hagar, putting it on her shoulder and the child, and sent her away. And she departed, and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And the water was spent in the bottle, and she cast the child under one of the shrubs, 
And she went and sat her down over against him a good way off, as it were a, a bow shot. For she said, let me not see the death of the child. And she sat over against him and lift up her voice and wept. And God. And God heard the voice of the lad. And the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said unto her, What aileth thee, Hagar? Fear not, for God hath heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him in thine hand, for I will make him a great nation. And God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the bottle with water and gave the lad drink, and God was with the lad. And he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. And he dwelt in the wilderness of Paran, his mother took him a wife out of the land of Egypt. If you're in the habit of marking your Bible, you may wish to mark a little two-word phrase found in the 11th verse of this particular text. Abraham is wrestling with all of these things, and the Bible says about his emotions that he was very grievous, that the thing was very grievous in Abraham's sight because of his son As is so often the case, Abraham's life does seem to rotate between moments of great joy and blessings and and then moments of great heartache and deep grief. And doesn't doesn't it sort of feel like life is like that? That we are continually on this pendulum that swings back and forth and and one day everything is great and everything is wonderful and the next day we're in the depths of despair and there's great heartache and there's great difficulty and, and we probably won't stay there very long because just on the horizon is more blessing and more favor from God and, and, and just around the corner from that is, is more difficulty and more heartache and that's just the nature of life living here in a sin-cursed earth. Job admitted in Job 14.1, he said this, that man that is born of woman is of few days and full of trouble. I suppose for all of us that could be a life verse. That for all of us, we, we have just a few days here on this earth that are not full of trouble and full of heartache and full of difficulty. This moment that, that's captured for us here in Genesis chapter number 21 to me is one of the lowest points of Abraham's recorded life. The emotions, I, I, I think that the emotions of this story literally leap off of the page as we read it. Each of us can imagine how torn Abraham must have been in this moment with a desire to please his wife and to keep her happy while at the same time maintaining a good relationship with his firstborn son. The regret, the heartache, and the agony must have been overwhelming for him in this particular moment. The Bible says of his feelings during the season, the, the whole thing that it was very grievous for him to have had to walk this pathway and to have had to make this most difficult decision. But we must acknowledge, we must acknowledge why it is that he was in this position to begin with. And that leads us to our first thought, dealing with things that are grievous and things that are heavy. Can I remind you, number one, that sin radically complicates our lives. Sin and its presence in our lives radically complicates things for us, doesn't it? When we think about your life and you think about the messes that perhaps you are dealing with or that you're trying to overcome, you understand that much of it is either because of your sin or because of the sin of someone else. 
Sin radically complicates our lives. I, I think to myself that armed, armed with the knowledge of how Genesis 21 is going to play out and the low depths to which Abraham would find himself in this particular moment, knowing all of this, had he been able to know all of this some 15, 16 years prior, Abraham would never, would never have chosen to follow the path that Sarah set before him in Genesis 16 to, to, to have a child by her handmaid Hagar. I mean, if he could have seen, if he could have seen the, uh, the challenges that were coming, Abraham would never, uh, would never have taken that step. Abraham would never have listened to that advice, would never have heeded that counsel, uh, would, would never have brought Hagar into his life to be a, uh, to be a second wife to him and, 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 and with her to have a, uh, another, to, to have a child. He, he would never have done those things. Sarah now, Sarah now is holding her own little one in her, in her own arms in Genesis chapter 21. And I have to think that she probably also looked back at the last 15 years of life and no doubt she had much regret too for, for it was her that had su- suggested and encouraged the, the thing to begin with. Uh, that if she could have seen how this was going to complicate her life and how difficult this was going to make things for her in her home and in her family, she probably went to bed every night wondering, why in the world did I suggest such a thing? Why in the world did I conjure up such a plan? Why did we just trust God and wait for him to fulfill his promise to us? This is a good thing to remind ourselves I'm talking about all of us here this morning because it is likely that someone in this room is toying with Someone is, is playing around with some level of enticement and some level of temptation to sin. And, and it's good for us right now, before we step across that line, before we give ourselves to that thing, to think to ourselves, I, I may not know exactly how this is all going to look, and I may not know exactly how this is all going to play out. I can't possibly predict what my Genesis 21 is going to look like while I'm standing here in Genesis chapter 16. But here's what I know. I know that if I choose to follow God and do the right thing, I can avoid some of those complications later on down the road. So you may be sitting here today, and maybe there's something swirling in your mind. Maybe there's some temptation that you have been offered, and maybe it is alluring, and maybe it is tempting, and maybe it is appealing to you, and maybe, just maybe, God has sent a pastor your way on this Sunday morning to tell you, hey, Take a look at Abraham. Take a look at Sarah. And don't you dare cross that line. Don't you dare cross over that, uh, that, that, that threshold that I've warned you about. Because you may not know how it's going to play out. But you do and you must know this. That it will radically complicate your life. Understand. Listen, the bill of sin always comes due. I, um, I've, had, I've had some interesting interactions with uh, medical bills. And you know, I've discovered, I've discovered, depending on where you go, sometimes those medical bills take a while to get to your house. You go and you get treatment and, and, uh, and you sit there and you say, okay, well, I, w- I would think in the next month or so uh, that, the, that the bill's going to arrive. And here's what I've discovered. I, I don't want to name the, the place in this area, but I've discovered with one particular hospital organization, sometimes it's six, seven months before the bill arrives. And there have been times in which I thought, well, isn't that something? Isn't that so kind of them? 
they must, they must know, they must know that my wife and I are living paycheck to paycheck and, and, and that we really, you know, we didn't foresee this little catastrophe coming and, and, and they must just, in the goodness of their hearts, they must just want to, they must have wanted to just give us that emergency room visit for free. Isn't that so nice and so kind of them? I mean, I mean, I, I, what else can I, what else can I assume when it's been six months since we've been to the emergency room and we still haven't received a bill. But you know what I've come to realize? I've come to realize the bill always comes. It's always coming, you know. I mean, you can call them and you can say, I haven't received my bill yet. Is my bill coming? Oh, yeah, it's, it's on its way. You haven't received it yet? Oh, it'll be there. And, and rest assured, listen, rest assured, it is coming. The bill always comes due. Sin is sort of like that. Because we... Because we reap what we sow much later many times in life, there are moments, there are times in which we think, well, would you look at that? You know, I, I indulged in this, and, and, and I, I, I knew it wasn't the right thing to do, but I just, I just couldn't help myself. It was so appealing, and it was so pleasing. And look at that. I, I haven't had to pay for that yet. Maybe, just maybe, God, God is going to allow me to escape reaping a harvest in that area. And I just, want, I just want you to know something. There's no such thing. The Bible is clear that if you sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. The bill always comes due. You must know that. It may not, it may not come due in the exact moment. There may be a lengthy gap, but understand that sin will radically complicate your life. Though you may not be able to completely predict how things will play out, trust God's word and acknowledge that the way of sin and the way of sinners is a difficult one. The Bible says as much. Proverbs 13 and verse number 15, the Bible says, Good understanding giveth favor, but the way of transgressors is hard. Some of you need to write that verse down. Write it down somewhere prominent. Put it in your car. Maybe some of you, maybe some of you, you need to, you need to put that in a prominent place in your home to remind yourself the way of transgressors is hard. Maybe that'd be a good thing to put on your computer screen. Maybe that'd be a good thing to put on the, the, the lock screen of your cell phone or of your tablet. The way of transgressors is hard. Because it's true. It's true because the Bible says it's true. The Bible tells us in James 1, verses 14 and 15, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth, what does the word say? Death. We're not playing games here. This isn't something, this isn't, this isn't something to play around with. No, listen. Sin, when it is finished, kills things destroys things it destroys marriages it destroys relationships between fathers and sons and mothers and daughters it destroys churches it destroys countries it destroys the world sin kills things sin when it is finished bringeth forth death notice notice how abraham's sin and sarah's sin complicated their lives number one we discover that it filled abraham's home with envy the sin of Abraham filled his home with envy. I, I find several instances of this throughout the life of Abraham. Number one, I find, number one, that Sarah was envious of Hagar. In this home, 
in, in which Sarah was the one that had actually suggested this thing and encouraged this thing to begin with, we now find, we now find that Sarah is envious of the very person that she, she suggested that Abraham have a relationship with to begin with. And now she's envious of her. And why? Well, Hagar was able to give Abraham first what Sarah had been incapable of giving him, a son or a seed. For years, Sarah wrestled with her barrenness as any woman would. And when she presented Hagar to Abraham, and Hagar all of a sudden now quickly conceives, and a child is on its way, Sarah is filled with envy. Hagar likely, we're going to find, brought some of this upon herself, as the Bible tells us that she despised her mistress in Genesis 16 and verse number 4. Abraham's relationship with Hagar was against God's word and it was against God's will. This relationship would lead his first wife to be filled with envy, leading to a home, listen, a home that was filled with unceasing, unending tension and strife. What had been a pretty happy home prior to all of this, when things got out of order and when they went their own way and they pursued after their own path, all of a sudden, whatever, whatever peace and whatever harmony and unity was in that home was forever, was forever altered by going their own way. Notice not only did Sarah, we discover, has envy of Hagar, but we see secondly that Hagar was envious of Sarah. And though Hagar was able to give Abraham something Sarah never could, it, 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 it did not address, nor could it ever address, who Hagar really was at the end of the day. She was a slave. That's what she was. That's what the term bondwoman or handmaid means. It, it means a servant. It means a slave. Paul writes of Hagar these words in Galatians 4 and verse number 30. Nevertheless, what saith the scripture? Cast out the bondwoman and her son. For the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. It seems clear to me that Hagar likely thought, she likely thought that her position as a wife and mother would elevate her status, but she soon learned, she soon learned that in reality she was nothing but an object to be used for Abraham and Sarah's purposes. That's all she was. And that was never going to change. No matter how many children she would, if she would bear to Abraham, and she only bore one, but had she, had she borne six sons to Abraham, nothing was ever going to change about the fact that at the end of the day, she was the bond woman, and Sarah was the free woman, and there was envy, and there was jealousy, and there was animosity in this home as a result of that. She would never be loved the way Sarah was loved, likely filling her heart with envy, again, leading to increased strife and tension but notice there's a third element of envy in this home, and that is this, that Ishmael was envious of Isaac. Ishmael was envious of Isaac. I mean, that's where the whole passage begins. And Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking. This was presumably on the day in which Abraham threw a party of celebration for Isaac's weaning. The Bible tells us that in verse number 8. Now Isaac no longer has to draw milk from his mother's breast. He's able to eat from the table. He's growing. He's maturing. This is another step in his development. And as we said last week, no doubt, Sarah is in a, in a period in which this is sort of bittersweet and mournful. Oh, I'm excited my son is growing, but I wish I could keep him little forever. And then here's dad. Here's Abraham, you know, kind of tone deaf and clueless, and he's throwing a party because Isaac has now been weaned. And the Bible seems to indicate that maybe at this very party, 
While everyone was celebrating Isaac, Ishmael's sitting off to the side. He's 15 years old. And maybe he's thinking to himself, nobody ever threw a party for me when I was weaned. Nobody, nobody gave me this kind of attention. Boy, I never got a gift like that. Wow, that's, that's something. They've never, they've never served a meal like that in my honor. Boy, they've invited a lot of people over here. I don't ever remember them inviting these people over to celebrate me. Something, something called jealousy and envy began to weave its way into his heart. Perhaps maybe it was already there, was already there to begin with, and now all of a sudden, Ishmael is looking at Isaac, and he's seeing this little, perhaps three-year-old boy, and in his mind, he's thinking to himself, why I oughta? That doesn't seem fair. Perhaps maybe up until this point, he kind of thought Isaac was sort of cute. My little kid brother. I'm going to teach him some of my ways. And now as he looks and he sees a look on Abraham's face that he's never seen before directed to him, his heart is filled with envy over his brother Isaac. Notice not only this sin radically complicate their lives by filling their home with envy, but it radically complicated their lives by separating his family. On this fateful day, the family that Abraham had created By the way, it was a family that was against God's word and it was against God's will. This family that Abraham had created was forever divided. For the bulk of Ishmael's life, he had seen his father every day and had eaten at his father's table, but these days would soon become a distant memory. We don't know exactly what Abraham felt about Hagar, but it is pretty clear to me that he had strong feelings toward his son Ishmael. This separation seems to have been agonizing for him. I can just imagine as as Abraham stands at that door early that morning that the Bible presents the narrative for us and he, he gives some bread and he takes a bottle of water and he throws it over the shoulder of Hagar and he wishes them well. Perhaps he holds his boy in his arms and maybe he even weeps and he cries thinking to himself, I'll never see his face again. And he sends them away. I just imagine that, that Abraham stands at his door and he watches as long as he can until Hagar and Ishmael are finally out of sight treasuring and holding on to every last glimpse thinking to himself look well now you'll never see that boy again because sin listen sin complicates our lives and sin sometimes is so devastating that it separates families I think to myself today our prisons are filled with husbands and daddies because of sin The divorce courts handle numerous cases each day between parties who at one time, at one time shared a home and shared a heart. But listen, sin crept in and divided them so that they can no longer dwell together in peace. I was doing some premarital counseling earlier this week. And you know, I've said this before, but premarital counseling is is wonderful. The couple comes in. I mean, they're so in love. It's almost disgusting, you know. I mean, they're looking at each other, you know, I mean, there's little hearts in their eyes and they just can't get close enough to one another. And I'm thinking to myself, this is sick. Don't do this in front of me, you know. <laughs> but you know, the truth, the truth of the matter is, is I, I, every time I have a couple come in that way, I'm looking at them and then I'm thinking to myself, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I had another couple sitting in my office who were one time this way. And one time they couldn't get enough of each other. Now they sit in my office. And if, 
And if a gun was present, they'd use it. I mean, truly. I mean, that's how, that's how bitter and how nasty things can get. Why? Because sin, unchecked, radically complicates our lives. And it, and it takes things that at one time were beautiful and wholesome and wonderful, and it divides them. And sin separated Abram's family all across this community. I'm talking about today, our children, our children who spend weekends with dad, while week, weekdays are spent with mom. And I want you to, I just want, for those of you who still have children in your home, I want you to think about this. And I want you to remember this, is what you're preparing to do, is what you're getting ready to give yourself to. Dad, is it worth not getting to tuck your son or daughter into bed every night? Is it worth that? Is, is, it worth, is it worth allowing another man to raise your child? Is it worth that? And we'd all say, no, it's not worth it. But you know, those are thoughts you need to think about right now. Because sometimes people think about them and it's too late. And Abraham stood back on that, on that fateful day and he thought to himself, Why? Why is Genesis 16 a part of my chapter of my life? Why? Why did I give myself to this? But by that point, it was too late. Sin radically complicates our lives. But in the midst of all of this grievousness, and it is very grievous what we find here, I want to leave you with a message of hope. Because we find in God's word that on the darkest days, there's still, there's still some light. And that's what I find in the remainder of this saga. And I want you to notice not only how sin radically complicates our lives, but number two, I want you to think with me, how God deals with sinners. How God deals with sinners. In verses 12 to 21, we, we get a master course on how to deal with sin and sinfulness in the lives of people. How does God deal with sinners? Several things I want to point out to you. Before we get there, I just want to remind you that while this chapter of Abraham's life is one of shame, pain, and remorse, as usual, in the midst of all of this heartache, we see glimpses of hope and glimpses of beauty as well. Can I just say that you may be in a period of reaping today what, what you have sown. You may be in a period of reaping a disastrous harvest today. But can I remind you, to just take a look at how God deals with sinners and be reminded, listen, in the midst of all of the, the reaping, listen, there is still some hope. I want to share with you several things that I find in this particular text about how God deals with sinners. I want to say, number one, that God allows us, God allows us to choose to sin. God allows us to choose to sin. Would you look with me, if you would, in verse number nine? The Bible says, and Sarah saw the son of Hagar. Notice the next phrase, the Egyptian which she had born unto Abraham. What's the sin in all of this that has led to this? It was the sin of a relationship between Hagar and Abraham. At the very heart of God's nature, listen, is to provide man with a free will. In the Garden of Eden, God presented Adam and Eve with a choice to make. Why? Because that's at the very heart of God's nature. 
Listen, the Bible says in Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Now God strongly counseled them what would be the consequences if they chose to obey God. But listen, mark this down. God never removed the presence of this tree. Why? Because God was offering man a choice. God told, God told man, hey listen, see that tree over there? It's a dangerous tree. Don't eat from it. In fact, the day that you eat of that tree, you're going to die. Surely you're going to die. But understand, God never, God never plucked that tree up by its roots and removed it from the garden. Why? Because of the very nature of God, the very heart of God, is to provide man, to provide woman, to provide all of us with a choice to make. You have a free will. You are a free moral agent. You will make the decision for yourself. As we saw previously, God does sometimes restrain people from sinning. But I believe that by and large, that's in cases of ignorance. But listen, when it comes to cases of willful rebellion, God will allow you to choose to go your own way. He will. We wonder, well, how does God deal with sinners? Well, understand, number one, that God allows you to choose your sin. In our text, the conflict reaches its zenith in Abraham's home, when Sarah sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, which she had born unto Abraham, mocking her son. And I'm thinking to myself, as I was preparing for this message, likely Abraham had no thought of Hagar in a romantic or a sexual manner until, until, until his wife suggested it that fateful day in Genesis 16. Why? Why would he have not looked at her in this way? Why? Because it was wrong. Be because he had a wife. And because he was happily married, and because she satisfied him, therefore there was no reason for him to think of anyone else in this way until, until Sarah came and suggested it. And I think to myself, that sounds sort of similar, doesn't it? Because Adam, Adam likely would never have eaten the fruit of the tree until someone came to him and suggested it as well. The serpent, obviously, but the woman, the Bible seems to indicate she was the first one to grab hold of that tree and to eat of the fruit, to take the first bite, but then she presented to Adam, and he did the unthinkable. Why? Because someone he loved, and someone he respected, and someone he trusted suggested that he do it. I'm just here to tell you, listen, the great character Solomon wrote in the book of Proverbs, my son, when sinners entice thee, consent thou not. You say, well, who's a sinner? Everybody's a sinner. We're all sinners. And sometimes, sometimes we justify our evil deeds by saying something like this. Well, so-and-so's doing it. If I had a dollar, if I had a dollar for every time my kids have said, well, Dad. And then I'm thinking to myself, now, wait a minute. If my dad had a dollar for every time I said, Dad, everybody's doing it. My dad, he used to have a, he used to have a crazy follow-up line to that. He would say, well, if so-and-so was jumping off of the Golden Gate Bridge, would you jump off the... I hated that line. <laughs> hated it. Until one day I found myself repeating it <laughs> to my own children. Well, I think my dad's in the car. Where's, where's dad at anyways? But, but isn't that how we operate? That's unthinkable. I'd never do that. What, wait, who, who did that? 
Who's suggesting that? Well, maybe I look at it a little differently now. Why don't we allow, why don't we allow this book to dictate our lives in that way? And why don't we just determine, listen, if this book says don't do it, I'm not going to do it. And if this book says do it, then I'm going to do it. And I don't care what brother so-and-so thinks. I don't care what sister so-and-so thinks. I'm going to go the right way. I'm going to follow the Lord. Listen, God will choose. God chooses to allow us to choose to sin. He does not remove the tree. He does not remove necessarily the temptation. And I just want to say this. Listen, never, never justify what God has clearly condemned. Never justify what God has clearly condemned. We know, we know what God approves of, and we know what God condemns by reading this book. God warns us in this book, but he does not remove the tree from the garden. Notice, secondly, how does God deal with sinners? Notice, number two, God, God does not supplant the consequences of our sin. So not only will God allow you to choose to sin, but God also will never supplant or remove the consequences of your sin. In verse number nine, we find a product of a sinful relationship between Abraham and Hagar, something that God never approved of, something that God never designed. We find that very clearly. In verse number 10, we find, we find payday. The Bible says in verse number 10, wherefore she, speaking of Sarah, said unto Abraham, cast out this bondwoman and her son, for the son of this bondwoman shall not be heir with my son, even with Isaac. Verse 14, and Abraham rose up early in the morning and took bread and a bottle of water and gave it unto Hagar and sent her away. In our text, Abraham feels personally the most painful consequences of his sin with Hagar. As Ishmael slowly walks away, his heart aches and longs to make it all better, but he's incapable of doing so. Someone once said, you can choose your sin, but you cannot choose the consequences of your sin. Abraham's grief is a reminder that the payment for our sin is often much more, much more than we are capable of paying. Had he envisioned the pain he felt on this day, it might have been enough to keep him from indulging in the pleasure and trying to take a shortcut to what God had promised that led to this. As we consider how God deals with sinners, we must remember that while God forgives, and he does, and God restores, the law of sowing and reaping is still in effect. Amen. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. Number, two, number three, I want to say this. God, God hates sin, but loves sinners. God, how does God deal with sin? Well, he allows us to choose to sin. He does not supplant the consequences of our sin. But remember this, that God hates sin, but he loves sinners. That's a problem that you and I have. Many times we, we find ourselves developing a hatred towards not just the sin, but also the person involved in it. Especially if it's a, it's a sin that we think to be especially grievous. Why, why can't I hate my own sin the way that I hate the sins of others? Have you ever noticed that? How that can be a struggle? But be reminded that God hates sin, but he loves sinners. In the midst of Abraham's grief, God comes to him with a message. The message centers on the necessity to do what Sarah was demanding of him. And some would ask, some would ask why God would endorse such a thing. And can I just remind you, listen, truthfully, God never endorsed anything in this. 
and we should be reminded, listen, of the, of the previous truth. In other words, this was never God's plan to begin with. God didn't design this. God didn't put all of this in motion. Man put all of this in motion. And now man is, is, is reaping the consequences of his choices and of his decisions. Listen, don't blame this on God. How often we find ourselves in a bad spot and thinking to ourselves, well, God's not good. No, it has nothing to do with the goodness of God. God is always good. Many, many times I'm just simply reaping what I have sown. It's all catching up to me. The, the bill has arrived in the mail, and now I have to pay the bill, even though I don't have the funds to be able to afford it. No, God, God never intended for Abraham and Hagar to marry. God never intended for Hagar to have a son with Abraham. But now, because of their sinful deeds, they had, they had elevated the bondwoman to a position that she never belonged in. That would be a wife to Abraham and a mother to his child. To an, a position of being equal with the free woman. That, that's not how this works. It was necessary, therefore, for the bondwoman to be cast out along with her son. This casting out was not God's plan, but it was in response to man's sinful deeds. But I just want to remind you, there is a silver lining. As this casting out, listen, would allow Hagar to regain her freedom. She's no longer a slave. She's no longer a bondwoman. She's no longer under the hard rigors of, of, of Sarah who hates her and, and has a, uh, an envy against her that, is, uh, that, that is, is extraordinary. And now all of a sudden, Hagar is freed from all of this. This silver lining not only allows her to regain her freedom, but it also allows Ishmael to become his own man and to begin his own family and his own legacy. This would, this would free both of them from a very bitter and difficult home life. Why? Why? Because God hates sin, but he loves sinners. None of this was God's fault. It was the fault of man and his sinfulness. This arrangement, this marriage was wrong. Hagar, the bondwoman, despising Sarah, the free woman, was wrong. Sarah making life miserable for Hagar, that was wrong too. And Ishmael mocking Isaac was wrong. All of it was sinful and wicked. And while what happens in this chapter appears to be terrible, in a sense, in a sense, it is actually freeing all of them, all of them from the terrible circumstances that they have created and that they've dealt with for so long. As grievous as this was for Abraham, it was much more grievous in God's sight. Why? Why? Because God loved everyone involved. God loved Hagar. God loved the little, the little boy that was born to Hagar and Abraham. Why? Because he was an eternal soul. God loved every one of them. He loved them that were involved in this mess, though their sin and their response to their sin was of great grief to him. As we contemplate how difficult this was, and yet we see some sparks of hope. We are reminded of God's great hatred for sin and yet his great love for sinners. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. That's our sin. But look how much he loves us and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. Romans 5, 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. 1 John 3, 16, hereby perceive we the love of God. How do we know God loves us? Here's how we know. Because he laid down his life for us. Why? Why? Because God hates sin. 
but he loves sinners. I don't know what it is that you're involved in today. I don't know the things that you've done, maybe even recently, but I want to remind you of something. Oh, God despises. He despises the things that we tolerate, the things that we justify, the things that we dabble in. But never, never lose sight of this. Though he despises our activities, though he despises the sinfulness and the wickedness of our hearts, he loves us with a never-ending passion. Amen. In fact, his love for us is every bit as great as his hatred for sin is. It's strong, it's passionate. It changes lives. Notice, fourthly, we see Not only that God hates sin and loves sinners, but notice we see number four, that God hears the cry of desperate sinners. Verses 16 and 17, the Bible says that they went out into the wilderness and they got to a point where the water was spent, it was in their bottle. Things were difficult. Imagine the passion of this scene. Hagar takes her boy. She lays him in a a shady place, out, out away from the Uh, from the the fury of the sun. And the Bible says that she removed herself far enough away from him so that that she didn't have to look at him. And here's why. She said, said, oh, I don't want to see him die. Putting him under the shrub wasn't going to save his life. It was just going to maybe elongate it a little bit. It was maybe going to make it maybe not quite as miserable. It was going to give him some little bit of relief. But she had the heart of a mother, and she said, I, I, I don't want to see him die. I don't want to hear his cries because there's nothing that I can do to help him. And while in this condition, she's weeping, she's sorrowing, the Bible tells us that, that, that this little boy, Ishmael, that he lifted up his voice and he cried out and he, uh, he, 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 maybe the last bit of strength that he had available to him. The Bible tells us that God heard that cry and immediately, immediately an angel was dispatched to Hagar saying, I've heard, I've heard the cry. I've heard the cry of Ishmael and I'm here to help. I just want to remind you that God God hears the desperate cry of sinners. God hears the desperate cry of sinners. Here, here's, 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 here's what it means to cry desperately. It means to come to God broken over your sin and your wickedness. You come to God, you come to God loving your sin, tolerating your sin, making provision for your flesh, and you mark it down, God will not hear you. But you come to God broken. You come to God desperate. You come to God humble. You come to God repentant. And I promise you, I promise you, he will hear you every time. Because God hears the cry of desperate sinners. The Bible says in Psalm 34, 17, the Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. The Bible says in Psalm 40, verses one and two, I waited patiently for the Lord and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of an horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. I don't know. I don't know where you exactly may be today. You may be in a desperate place similar to where Hagar and Ishmael were. But I know this. I know that God is more than able to hear your desperate cry. If in this service you'll come to the Lord and you'll cry out to him full of humility and contrition and repentance, I guarantee you this, the Lord will hear you. The Lord will respond to a prayer like that. Number, number five, God is full of mercy and compassion. Uh, Corey Tenboom and her sister Betsy were in, a, were in a concentration camp during World War II. Miserable, 
Absolutely miserable. And they were, they were lamenting their state. Corey was in particular when her sister Betsy piped up. And she said this to her sister. She said, there is no pit so deep that God's love is not deeper still. Isn't that a beautiful truth? I mean, Ishmael and Hagar are in a mess. They're in a mess. They're going to die in that wilderness. There's no water. There's no one to help them. There's no one who cares. Oh, but there was God. There was God. I love, I love, how, it, I love how it's said in verse number, verse number 17, and God heard the voice of the lad. Why? Because God is full. He is full of mercy and compassion. Sometimes we describe people. We'll say, well, they're this, they're that. They're hilarious. They're a bright business mind. They've just got a magnetic person. How do you, how, you want to describe God? You want to describe God? He's full of mercy and compassion. He's full of grace. He's full of truth. He is more than able to come to us in our most difficult moments. I'm thinking to myself that in much the same way as Hagar and Ishmael were, I too was left to die on my own in the wilderness of my own sin. I was left to die on my own. I was desperate. I was alone. I was without hope spiritually due to my sin nature and the choices and decisions I had selfishly made. But, but there was a God. There was a God in heaven who was full of mercy and compassion. And he saw me in the mess that I had made of my life. And he came to me with his mercy and his compassion. And he saved my soul. He refused to allow death to be my only available option. Isaiah 38, 17 says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption. For thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Isaiah 63 and verse number seven, I will mention the loving kindness of the Lord and the praises of the Lord according to all that the Lord hath bestowed on us and the great goodness toward the house of Israel, which he hath bestowed on them according to his mercies and according to the multitude of his loving kindnesses. Verse number nine, in all their affliction, he was afflicted and the angel of his presence saved them in his love and in his pity. He redeemed them and he bare them and carried them all the days of hold. And just as God was faithful to do that for the nation of Israel he's faithful to do that for me and for you as well our God is a God of mercy and compassion of love and of kindness what should have been the end for Ishmael and the end for Hagar what should have been the end for Peter Folger what should have been the end for every one of you listen was just the beginning because of a God who's full of mercy and compassion lastly and finally God provides a fresh supply of water in a dry and barren land. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know whether the well was there or not all along and she had just failed to see it. I don't know. I, I suppose we could debate that. The Bible says that God opened her eyes. So maybe it was there and she just hadn't seen it. You know, I, I, I know when people get desperate and people get dehydrated and are in difficult places, they, their minds can play tricks on them. So maybe, maybe she just had failed to see it or maybe, maybe just maybe God... God dug a well real quick, because God can do that, can he? Maybe God dug a well real quick and just offered it to her. I, I don't know. And I'm glad to know. I'm glad to know that God provides water. He provides water in a dry and a barren land. Spiritually, spiritually, Christ offers as well a fresh supply of water, doesn't he? In, in fact, Jesus said at the, at the well there that 
he was talking to the Samaritan, Samaritan woman. He, he, said, he said, listen, listen, young lady, if you drink this water, he says, you will thirst again. That's, that's the physical water. And the truth of the matter is that Ishmael took a drink that day, and the next day he was thirsty again. Maybe they camped out by that well for a while, I don't know. But you drink, you drink the water of this world, and you'll get thirsty again. But you drink the water that Christ offers. Amen. The Bible says that it will become a, a source of water that will spring up into you. And, and you'll never thirst again. You know, it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've, I've bought a new home, new home to me. I've bought a new car. I bought a new set of clothes or whatever. And, and, and you have those for a time, and eventually you think, well, that was nice, but I, I sure, boy, I say, boy that, looks really, that looks really good. But you know, I, after I've tasted of Christ, I've never said I need another Savior. I've never said I need something else. After I've read this book, I've never said, you know, I wish there was something better out there for us. No, 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 because listen, here's what happens. When, when, you, when, you, drink of, when you drink of Christ's everlasting water, you'll never thirst again. You, you'll, ne- you'll never long for anything else. you never want anything else. Everything the world offers, everything the world offers leaves you wanting more, wanting more, wanting more. But when you get what Christ offers, oh, the water that he provides in a dry and barren land, you will never thirst again. So we conclude this morning. Can you see evidence in your life of how much sin has complicated things? Can we just pause for a moment and just acknowledge that? And just say, yeah, yeah, Pastor, I, I, I can see evidence of that in my life. And then I can think of this and that and Boy, this, the time that I did this and how I had to deal with that, and maybe even right now I'm dealing with some, some consequences, some complication because of some things that I have done previously. Can you see evidence of those things in your life? Are you dealing with some very grievous things today due to choices and decisions you've made in your past? Listen, it's not all bad. Isn't it a blessing to know? Isn't it a blessing to know that your sin and wickedness doesn't have to be the end of your story? It doesn't have to be. In fact, in fact, if you'll, if you'll cry out to God today with a spirit of humility, if you'll, get real, if you'll get real honest with the Lord and get real, really raw with the Lord today, and you'll approach Him with a spirit of humility, be contrite and broken, you know what will happen? He'll, he'll meet you where you are, and He'll begin to rewrite your story. That's what He does. Abraham set all of this in motion in Genesis 16. But listen, listen. Though he could not have predicted how it would end, God was waiting for him in Genesis 21. And you and I have set some things in motion as well previously. And no matter what day the bill comes due, God is waiting on that day with a tender heart and with compassion and with mercy to redeem, to redeem us from the fallout of this whole mess. Well, the narrative given to us here is heart-wrenching. It does not leave us without hope. Just as Hagar and Ishmael cried out to God and found salvation, so too, if you'll cry out to the Lord today, you'll come to him humbly and desperately. You too can experience his salvation and his loving kindness, regardless, listen, regardless of your past. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed for just a moment. Thank you for being here today. and.